Hey, Sporkies. Editing Dan here again. We have another listener recommendation. We got Sinister 2012 coming in from Ash. Thank you again, Ash. We appreciate you. Uh, I didn't mention it during the episode at all, unfortunately. Totally slipped my mind. Uh, Sinister was directed by Scott Derrickson. Shout out to Scott Derrickson. He directed a banger. Uh, I don't know if you can call it underrated because it did 87 mil at the box office against the 3 mil budget, but I love it. Sinister's one of my favorites, obviously, if you listen to the top five horror movie episode, which you should have, you'll know that by now. Either way, just a quick reminder at the beginning of the episode, if you want to follow us on Instagram and keep up to date with future episodes, follow us at Bloody Spork on Instagram, and if you want to be one of these listener-suggested episodes, email us at bloodysporkpod at gmail.com. And a quick reminder, because I haven't said it in a while, if you haven't already, Rate us five stars on whatever platform you're on. Leave us a little review, whatever the case may be. And now, enjoy the show. Hey, Sporkies, back again. We're here with Gavin. Say something. Oh, I thought you were just going to keep going. Hi. (laughs) Uh, We're doing another listener recommendation today. This is technically like our fifth or sixth the, the real technicality is that the Nightmare on Elm Street episode was supposed to be written in as a, a listener recommendation. I forgot. So that's fine. But this is fifth or sixth. Like I said, we're here with Sinister. You. Coming in from Ash. Now, fun fact, Ash never even watched this movie. Ash instead saw a a webs or a, an article you know one of those fun facebook articles because i am familiar with the article uh titled what is it uh new study ranks scariest horror films by average heart rate oh, uh, yeah, yeah. so it's not the most scientific of studies it's more of like a for fun thing it's seemingly like in my opinion uh written by sam warner in 2020 i'm not going to read the whole article but i'll be sure to link it in the episode description but basically Uh, The study was created by creating a list of the 50 greatest horror movies based on various things like IMDb and Rotten Tomatoes ratings. Um, They were all the movies were then screened uh, to a panel of 50 viewers across a variety of ages. They were fitted with a heart rate monitor, tracking their heart rate throughout the film versus their average resting heart rate. The data that was then averaged for each film. So like I said, I'll attach the whole article. Go ahead and check out all 50 movies and where they rank. But Sinister ranks in at number one. Insidious at number two, The Conjuring at number three, Hereditary at number four, and Paranormal Activity at number five. So there's your quick top five. Yeah, and then they did that with pornos, and it was even more heart rate. (laughs) (laughs) So they're even scarier. Oh, God, I agree. And honestly, the titles are even scarier. The acting. uh, (laughs) There's some... It's a bunch of numbers. Apparently, the biggest increase during this film's scariest moment was a jump uh of about 65 beats per minute all the way to 131 beats per minute during the scariest scene it doesn't say what the scariest scene is specifically the kid comes out of the box (laughs) probably um either way so that's why we're doing sinister today i do not i she might have said it like subconsciously i don't think she said it knowing it's in my top five favorites of all time we just put out that list so there's no way she could have known ha 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 gotta uh, go back and listen now mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that's a fun episode we, we had lots of fun and just there. a quick sidebar thank you all so much for all of your listening activities during the month of october we know we put out a lot of extra content yeah that was crazy people were really tuned in yeah oh dude the barbarian episode is like we had malignant as our most listened to episode for a while with a little over 50 uh, I think like 56 or 57. And then we put out Barbarian and then it got added to HBO Max and it just jumped from like 10 listens to 50 plus listens in like four days. And it's insane. Uh, so back to once a week now, thankfully, a lot more stress-free on our little minds. <laughs> I'm like 100% sure I watched more movies in this month of October than I have the past like three years combined. So <laughs> I'm not mad at it. And again, thank you for all your support. We appreciate it. But back to Sinister here. Let's go. We'll do our, our one bit real quickly here. Rotten Tomatoes critical score on Sinister. What do you think? Well, I think we've just pretty much established that I just cannot <laughs> these scores whatsoever. So critic score, I'm going to go with 80%. 
Lower. Sixty percent. Pretty close. We got sixty-three percent for okay. critic scores. Critics consensus. Its plot hinges on typically implausible horror movie behavior and recycles countless genre cliches, but Sinister delivers a surprising number of fresh diabolical twists. Why is I, it? I don't think. Yeah, I don't agree with that. I don't think there's countless cliches. There's a few few of the jump scares that are pretty obvious and follow. yeah, but like even like the whole like characters doing what they shouldn't be doing. He's he he. It's his job. Yeah. <laughs> It's I don't, not, I don't he's know. a random guy, you know? But to be fair, this is that era of time where, like, paranormal movies were just the thing. Yeah. So, like, at the, like even in the year 2012, 2012, we get Mama the following year. We get The Conjuring the following year, which I think, if I had to guess, people probably hold The Conjuring in a much brighter light than this movie for whatever reason. Because mm-hmm. the, con- well, the Conjuring was huge financially. Even though this was big, too. Uh, yeah. I, I believe this probably pales in comparison uh but this movie still did insane audience score what do you think i mean this has got to be 90s lower much lower no yeah 50s a little bit higher 67 62 62 percent audience (laughs) score um yeah this was october 12th 2012 my brother's birthday happy birthday that it came out oh sorry oh my goodness uh (laughs) And this movie, I think I, I ugh, where'd it go? This movie had a three million budget, did 80, wow. 80, 87.7 million box office, which insane. Like I said, Terrifier 2 turnaround. Um, like, and for comparison, I, I'm not seeing the, bu- the budget. I think we've said it before the Conjuring budget was 20 million, um, but the Conjuring did 320 million <laughs> at the box office. So it's a little different, yeah. Um, but I think if I'm rem- remembering correctly, no. Okay, New Line Cinema did the Conjuring. I don't know why. This, however, because it says it literally on the case of my sinister box. Uh, this was like a streak that Blumhouse had. Blumhouse did Paranormal Activity and then Sinister, or no, Paranormal Activity, then Insidious, and then Sinister, all within five years. Kind of nuts. It's like three for three in my opinion. Regardless of what people think of paranormal activity. You can't discredit the success the movie had, ultimately. Paranormal activity is not good. <laughs> While that is the case, <laughs> uh, there's not much else I could say. However, <laughs> before we get into the spoiler section of Sinister, we have to address the elephant in the room of the sequel. Mm, because yeah. I've made it very clear in the past that if we cover movies with sequels, like one or two sequels, we'll try to cover the whole series. That's not going to happen here. I can't do it. I refuse. I refuse. <laughs> the Sinister is one of is like my second favorite movie, as I've said before. And I know how bad the sequel is comparatively. And I'm just not going to watch it. I've yet to watch it still. And I will refuse to watch it. And I will die on that hill. And I'm OK with that. It's hard to talk about the sequel without giving stuff away for this one. So I'll try to do a little like quick non-spoiler. I don't care if I spoil the sequel, but just for the sake of spoiling this, the original. Um, basically what happens is there's a police officer in the original played by James Ransone. Is that his yes. Name? yes, yes, yes. And uh, yeah, he becomes the main character of the second one and ends up winning. That's the best way to say it. <laughs> um, yeah, which interesting. Uh, James Ransone, yeah, plays a uh, part in both movies. I think he's the only reoccurring character. Uh, I could be wrong. I'm not sure if the professor reprises his role in the second movie at all. Um, but which professor, the professor they talk to in this movie who like knows about the symbols. Oh, I thought I thought you were talking about Ethan Hawke. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> no, he... no, I don't think he does, Dan. <laughs> <laughs> um yeah, James Ransone. No, you know, we know he's about funny. him. He's funny. He's a solid actor. He's this movie was actually like it's not funny, but it was a little bit funnier than I remembered it being, and it's purely yeah. because of James. The Credit squirrels. to him. <laughs> so fucking funny um and he is of more recently fame from black phone 
not doing a review on. And yeah, unless somebody asks, <laughs> unless somebody really <laughs> wants to hear us talk about it. Um, but also it was uh, grown up Eddie in it chapter two. And yeah. around here we're, we're a bunch of it fans. So stands even if you will. So good it. obviously he's funny as shit in that too. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I enjoy his work. It's just that movie was just not good. <laughs> yeah, the sequel specifically. Yeah, yeah. About. Not yeah. it, Chapter Two. We we enjoy those movies. Yeah, one yeah. of these days we'll cover it. Um, but yeah, the spoiler section. Wait. Oh nope. Was the professor played by that guy from Law and Order? I don't <laughs> know. <laughs> I'm not even seeing him. Where are you, Professor? I'm pretty sure. <laughs> he was uh, yeah, Vincent Dion uh, uh, Don Ofrio. <laughs> Professor Jonas. Yeah, that's him. He's on I, really, I, I was gonna say I Googled Sinister Cast and he just doesn't pop up. I have I even have like all the little missing kids there credited, but I do what? not see the professor. I see sleepy time boy, blonde <laughs> girl. Oh, great. Why Chest, he- they even have the fucking Chester the Chihuahua gets a credit? Really? <laughs> That's so stupid. That's funny. Okay. Whatever. I knew you looked familiar. All right. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Moving into our spoilers section. We, like I said, done by Blumhouse. This was when Blumhouse was still like making good decisions with their investments. Blumhouse now kind of notorious for um, low risk, high reward, and it keeps working. So they keep like lowering their bar. Look at Truth or Dare. Okay, I was going to say, what's one of their most recent, yeah. Truth or Dare. They did Truth or Dare. And you know what? Truth or Dare still did fucking crazy numbers at the box office. And it's so. You just, uh, didn't you just acquire a DVD copy of Truth or Dare? I'm pretty sure it's like special edition too. It's crazy. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> this Gavin's a great friend, everybody. You should know that. One of the, there's going to be a podcast episode where it's just me and it's just me reading all of the titles I just acquired from Gavin. And that's it. <laughs> No reaction, no anything else, just me reading all of the movies. And a little you- ASMR. <laughs> <laughs> um, either way, so Blumhouse, back in their prime, really. We, <laughs> fun fact, because I watch this, I, I own this DVD now, so I got the typical, you know, DVD previews, and my fucking favorite movie had a preview for it. The Texas Chainsaw Massacre featuring Trey Songs was the first fucking preview on this movie. And that's how I knew it was the year 2012. <laughs> uh, either way, this movie also starting off a lot more grisly than I remembered. Uh, just bang, bang, family suicide. Four of them hanging from a tree. I know. Wow. And it's all like fucking Rue Goldberg machined with the branch on the side. And it's like slowly anchors down and you see the whole family's feet rig feet feet wriggling feet their, little, their little feet are you know, flapping around as they're dying <laughs> you see Gavin, Gavin and Gollum bloody sport <laughs> podcast <laughs> you see them all like slowly but surely die one by one basically give up and then yeah we family intro Ethan Hawk here he is ha 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 Ethan Hawk what a uh, uh, what are we saying good good dad bad dad what do you think um Ethan Hawk real life I'm pretty certain bad dad <laughs> but if I remember correctly but Ethan Hawk movie dad um every movie I've seen him in it's also been bad dad yeah, so yeah. I'm going to go with bad so yeah uh Ethan Black Hawk Moon, definitely bad dad <laughs> Ethan Hawk's playing Ellison in this movie which I got to say it man I hate that name I think I I think I despise it yeah I don't even know where that Sorry, sorry to all the Ellisons out there, but just go yeah, by Eli, three. please. Go by Eli. Don't, don't, don't say like your Elias. name. Elias. <laughs> Do not introduce yourself to people as Ellison, please. Aliquium. <laughs> oh man. So we find out Ellison's a true crime novelist. He and cops hate him, hate him for it, except he for James. Like- they make it like very clear right away that he's only ever had one good book. It's so funny. <laughs> <laughs> like, mm-hmm. so as he's moving into this new uh, new house here, the deputy sheriff, whatever, pulls up on him, played by Fred Dalton Thompson, I believe. 
So just because I have the cast pulled up, I'm not going to check what else he's been in. <laughs> you know, um, he's also famous for that other movie where he was a sheriff. Yeah. And the other one where he also <laughs> Type, <laughs> typecasted. <laughs> it's just a bunch of, I like literally clicked on it, pulled him up. I think, yeah, he is a politician. He's also dead. R.I.P. Um, God. Didn't mean to. But go nope. got him, dude. <laughs> um, anyway. <laughs> Liason, solve the crime. It's so funny. The first introduction. Ugh, wow. Wow. The first introduction we get to James. Also, unfortunately, very funny, but not funny at the same time. James Ransone's character doesn't get a real name in this movie. He might in the sequel. I don't know. But in this movie, he's literally just called Deputy So-and-so. And that's what he's credited as. I'm pretty sure he does have a name in the second one. I'll check that while you keep talking. So I'm gonna call. I'm gonna call him James because that's a name and not Deputy So and So every single time. Uh, but the the county sheriff pulls up, basically says to Ethan Hawke, "You got You should really get the fuck out of here. Nobody wants you here." Uh, he's basic. He's just not a fan of Ethan Hawke's work or his writing or anything. He thinks he's out to get cops or something. I don't know. He's just a hater. He's literally. Try- Credited, sorry to interrupt you, as ex deputy so and so in the Sinister <laughs> Two. <laughs> Perfect. Are you telling me they don't say his name one time in, in the two, in two movies? Whole movies? That's so insane. <laughs> he's uh, it's funny because James is waiting outside, and when the the county sheriff pulls up, he's like, "So you got an autograph, huh?" <laughs> and yeah, so James is basically our resident fangirl of Ethan Hawke. Loves his work, you know. Once, once him, wants him to sign his copy of Kentucky Blood, you know. Which, by the way, what a stupid name for a book. It's yeah, just, that's not very creative. You want your you want your book to sell. Well, that's the only one that did. So <laughs> I guess, but give it a better, give it a better. You gotta give me some pizzazz on the title. Kentucky mutilation. I about that. <laughs> for real, I would have looked at the cover and been like, damn, and then never read it. <laughs> so we are quickly what i really liked about this movie is we quickly are introduced to the family and and all of ethan's shenanigans in the movie because one of the first lines the wife says played by juliet rylance uh one of the first things she says she's playing her character is tracy uh we didn't move into a house a few doors down from a crime scene again hmm. again Come on, Ellison. I already... Uh, God, what was wrong with you, buddy? Why would you do this to your family? Hey, he, he didn't move him down the street. Yeah, he moved him into the they house. In. <laughs> <laughs> this is already... I already forgot that this is how this all went down. But he literally says, no, I promise. And then later in the movie, he literally says, we didn't move a few doors down. We moved into the house. That's his reasoning for why he lied. Because he technically didn't lie. Hey man, that's you're right. He didn't lie. So good dad. We, that's good dad point one. <laughs> good, good dad point one. <laughs> we'll keep tally. So we're and like quickly we get to a dinner scene so we could get all four of them together. We get two kids. All right, what do you think? These child actors. Good, um, bad. Weird incel son and innocent daughter. Um uh, what does the daughter say? Like three things in the whole movie. The daughter's kind of robotic. It seemed like yeah, like, she wasn't very. And then the she's son kind of, like, was repeating her lines with no real, you know, delivery. I feel like the kids are often just caricatures of a kid in the situation. So I feel like the son is exactly a caricature of. Yeah. I hate moving. I don't have any friends, and I have night terrors, <laughs> which is <laughs> just a random fact to throw in. Yeah, but man, <laughs> they're, not, they're not anything special, but they're not the worst. Yeah, they do their job and they don't they're not really asked to do anything extra besides a little girl towards the end. Uh, the boy, the boy is fine, I guess. They they abuse those night terrors for some jump scares, but that's about it. Yeah, that's, that's really all they come to. We don't really get an explanation into that. Um, and it's interesting because it's after insidious where the whole plot of insidious is like not the whole plot but that's all based around that little boy's night terrors essentially and then these night terrors mean nothing really because this boy means nothing and it's like uh, what's it called um what's it called when it's uh, oh red herring yeah yeah yeah, yeah. that that's works why, i think that's why he has the night terrors to be that 
Yeah, which is fair. And it definitely, I picked up on it a bit more that like, we're going to, again, this movie is 10 years old now, which is upsetting to, re- to realize. <laughs> <laughs> so we're, we'll jump all around with it. instead of, you know, we're, I'm trying to get more into just jumping around to talk about the movies. You don't need plot by plot breakdowns or scene by scene breakdowns. Sorry. Um, plot by plot. Plot by plot, baby. So spoilers. <laughs> Bagul. Is a, is, is a child snatcher, basically, reaper of children's souls or whatever. And he's yeah. our antagonist in this movie. Um, no, no name in high school. Haha. <laughs> 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 uh, child snatcher. <laughs> come on. Uh, no real life implications is like slightly based off of, inspired by an actual deity named Moloch. Is that what it was? Yeah. Uh, I don't know if that's the exact pronunciation, but that's see, yeah, it seems to have been modeled on Moloch, the Canaanite, Canaanite, Canaanite deity of child sacrifice. Uh, and then they talk about the Hebrew Bible and Moses and blah blah blah, basically saying, Don't worship Moloch, what's wrong with you people? Yeah, ah, uh, it okay. Apparently, on Sinister's official Facebook page, the comparison between Bagul and Moloch is made explicit. The movie villain is called Brother of Moloch, and it says that Bagul mimicked Moloch's worship and child sacrifice rituals before Moloch furiously shut Bagul's mouth with ash for all eternity. Interesting. Huh. Yeah. Apparently, right, apparently that was all on the official Facebook page for Sinister, but who the fuck? (laughs) Moloch? Yeah. Movie about him. He seems way cooler than this guy. And that information that I just read comes from five chilling things you didn't know about Sinister. So I guess because I've referenced it, I'll also include this in the episode description. Yeah, yeah. Because I'm not going to read these other four facts. But We're maybe all about I, citation, baby. But maybe I'll read this fifth one. Either way. Um, continuing onward. MLA yeah. format. <laughs> um, <laughs> like I said, the family dynamic is quickly revealed, which I liked. The kids seem resentful of dad yeah but because they're not teenagers they're not like i hate you and then don't interact with him they say like i hate this situation yeah which i I could get behind that like i said their delivery is a bit robotic it seems like they just were reading their lines the boy tried a little bit to be emotional it seemed like we get an interesting tidbit here um tracy in private talking with Ellison mentions uh, Kentucky blood was 10 years ago. What if that was your 15 minutes of fame? You know, what if you, and because he's basically Ethan Hawke has moved into this house because he wants to investigate the crime. He thinks he can solve the case of all the missing children because Bagul, being the child reaper, basically uh, snatches children. And he thinks he can solve the mystery, which is why he's moved into this house for inspiration he wants another big hit there's a lot of interesting talks on like being famous and picking fame over your family which is basically what ethan hawk's character does for 80 percent of this movie that's a bad dad point right there <laughs> bad dad point we're at zero all right if you're keeping track one of to one one to one <laughs> uh <laughs> so now that i've i gotta say now that i've begun to watch movies in my rewatches a bit more analytically or at least i try to or i try to pick up more things i gotta say man the sound design and the score and mm-hmm. the music they use in this movie is just mm, ah, chef's kiss that's wow. what makes it so scary all the like little all the little mini movies that ethan hawk watches throughout this with all the family deaths essentially the movie the music is so scary because it's so different too from e- like there's no theme across yeah. the the music musical scores used they're all just fucking creepy um i forget which one it is it might be it's either the pool party or the burning car that had like this mellowish almost like rock tone during the day with the like the happy family scenes and then it quickly change into this distorted reverbed uh like chopped and screwed as uh, a spinrilla would put it edition of some weird wonky ass fucking music and i'm not gonna include any of it because i'm not you know i don't actually want to scare you people but watch the movie yeah because these even these little because we don't ever see anything too too graphic in this movie with the family deaths uh but 
you don't need to you don't need it yeah honestly <laughs> the point where it's yeah. it shows you enough <laughs> <laughs> but i had to this, the music is so good he watches he watches a few in one night the first night they're there i can't remember which one specifically but he definitely watches pool party and sleepy time maybe i'm not sure i think he watches them in order yeah. Um, okay. And I, I have the order pulled up just for reference sake. Perfect. I think get, it's pool party and barbecue. Okay. For the first I did not. Perfect. I did not write down barbecue. Yeah. So he's watching them all in chronological order. The tapes, he found the tapes, this little mini projector. And also, sidebar, all these little mini movies were shot on Super 8 film, like actually shot on Super 8 film. And Where then. Sound um, from? I don't know. I couldn't figure that out. Um, it, was like, it was coming like they made it clear that like it was coming from the movie like it wasn't mm-hmm. it wasn't like a you know what i'm saying yeah yeah, yeah. like i don't understand how super 8 works which right. is a little <laughs> bit funny because we have computers <laughs> but yeah you know i i told i told gavin we were together earlier this morning for a different project and uh i told him yeah dude i'll do research ahead of time because i'll have free time i didn't do shit man i found (laughs) i found the two articles i wanted to find and that was it and that was about 10 minutes before we started recording so (laughs) hell yeah so yeah man the the family murder montages they're they're tough and I, i like what they do they basically they show the the majority of the kill in his glasses reflection which is really interesting and we see him break out the the whiskey he busts it out early first night just downing shots oh like that's bad dad (laughs) bad dad Mm, two to one one. (laughs) take (laughs) take a shot every time you see ethan hawk take a shot you're about seven eight shots deep by the end of the movie yeah uh and it's interesting that i'm like kind of surprised but i'm also glad they didn't they did it a little bit they played on this idea that maybe he's just an alcoholic and he's seeing all these things um but they don't push it too too hard which i was glad to see but like his wife there was a funny scene with his wife later in the movie where she's like you busted into the whiskey even earlier than last time this is ruining you i can tell it's destroying you and i was like last time Bad dad. <laughs> uh, yeah, facts. Another point. <laughs> uh, we so for some reason he's watching he's watching the films this first night randomly. He's like, I'm gonna call the police department. He says, I'm I'm I want to report an emergency. What the fuck emergency are you reporting? Yeah, <laughs> that um, you found the films. To be fair, <laughs> I don't know what I don't know what I would do if I found that. Yeah, I also true. wouldn't watch them. Yeah, no, I would have never watched them in a million years. Also, yeah, it just implies that uh, Ellison, Ethan Hawke's character, is a super genius and was able to put together the Super 8 projector and able to run the film and knew how to work the machinery. Just minute one. No, no thoughts. I buy I buy it. Super genius. (laughs) Super genius, in my opinion. You have used one before, maybe? (laughs) There, There are, I will say... It, I don't know, man. I, I, I've touched physical film before. I mean, I'm sure most have if you're over the age of 18. Uh, maybe. I don't know. Is that fair to say? I, I really don't know, actually. You know what? I think he is a super genius because at one point, one of them catches on fire and he just puts it back together. And yeah, keeps that's, what, that's what I was about to say. He does a quick little google safari search he splices them back together and then and then takes his own pair of scissors and some tape and is like mink, 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 and then boom perfect film nothing crazy <laughs> i was like sure right. he is a super genius that's a yeah. good bad point <laughs> two to three stud he's on he's on a roll uh we get our first jump scare uh i li- i think most of the jump scares are effective except for the very last one um most of these aren't for no reason and i think most are done well so we get our first jump, uh, first jump scare. Trevor coming out of a box backwards while he's screaming, and they just just write it off as night terrors. And they're like, ah, just put him back to bed. Um, as as a personal experience of, of night terrors, um, I've never popped out of a box. Fun fact, I I do be sleepwalking, and it's not something you grow out of. It is for some people. But I have not grown out of it. And so even to this day, I probably have about one night terror every two weeks or so. 
You better try the box tactic. Um, that's okay. I think the only and again, if you think what Trevor does is far fetched, you can believe me or not believe me. Whatever. When I was growing up, there was a night I spent the night at my grandmother's house, and I began sleepwalking around like midnight or so. And she found me at like twelve forty five a.m. and I had left her house and walked across the street, and she found me outside of the neighbor's front door, like about to knock, but I was just standing there. And, <laughs> and she walked me back into her house, and everything was fine. And then she asked me in the morning if I remembered any of it, and of course I didn't. So this, this box thing, it's not far fetched, right? These things happen. Sleepwalking's real. Night terrors, real. Don't mm-hmm. doubt it. So. Good jump scare. It's not too loud. He screams, but, you know, I didn't jump this time. No, it was... But it's good. It works. Uh, we get him watching some more films. He watches The Pool Party. <laughs> Once again, we see their feetsies wiggling. While they're... You got to say, we got to go over, like, what each one of these things are. Yeah, right. So with The Pool Party, we get uh, the family strapped into lawn chairs and then with cinder blocks under them yeah cinder blocks tied to the end of them and then the cinder blocks get pushed into the pool thus bringing down the lawn chairs and um they all drown at the bottom of the pool (laughs) so yeah and this is our first bagul sighting he is at the he's seen very clearly standing at the bottom of the pool. And this is one of the few facts I remember. I think it's either the Dead Meat episode on it or maybe Ryan Hollinger, I think, also covered this film and might have yeah, said it. Um, the actor playing Bagul was actually wearing weighted shoes to stand at the bottom <laughs> of the pool for this scene. Like this isn't like CGI or faked. I'm pretty sure this is just him legitimately standing at the bottom of a pool. Pretty sick. Shout out to that guy. Uh, uh, Nicholas King plays Bagul. It's, it's good stuff, Nick. Keep it up All out there. All I'm saying is, if they would have got a, one of those famous six foot seven French contortionists, <laughs> way scarier. Yeah. <laughs> no, no discredit to Nick King or whatever his name is, but yeah, he plays he plays a pretty big burly role. I don't know how if there's much of Bagul in the in the sequel. There's not really much of Bagul it's here. Too much Bagul. In this is it really? Yes. Oh, see, that's not fun. I like it in this one because he's like, like, ugh, it's yeah. I'm not, I'm, let's not even get into it. <laughs> I think this this movie works with Bagul as opposed to the usually how we're 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 very much of the camp of like less is more and less is scarier. Uh, I don't think Bagul's design is terrible, so I'm not mad at seeing him. And we see him so early on that we're already aware of his presence. Like we see him probably like 30 minutes into the movie. I didn't write down exact time, Um, but it's fine. And again, it's not a stereotypical monster design either. Like Bagul is very unique. I'd say looking, he's just kind of a a guy with a, with a sewn shut face sort of, but not really. You can tell he's a demon because big eyes and claw hands. Yeah. It's all, it's all black features. Yeah, but, but pale white skin or whatever, and he's like in a suit or something. Black, long black hair. Yeah, so you, that's how you know he's a demon. <laughs> so while this happens, the film projector catches fire. That's a theme. <laughs> we start the next day with the boy. I already forgot. I forget both kids' names. Really, <laughs> no, no. <laughs> <laughs> they're they're not important. The the boy of the family. Um, this is being yelled at by Tracy, Tracy, the mother, Tracy. Mm-hmm. And uh, he drew the picture of the four people hanging in school on a whiteboard. Yeah. <laughs> That's some pretty fucked up shit. So now, having watched the movie multiple times, this now is obvious to me that this was Bagul attempting to use him as the child that kills the family. Spoilers. <laughs> we find out eventually the missing child from each family is the one that kills the entire family and then goes off with Bagul into the into the nether realm. Yeah. I don't know what it would be considered, but his alternate universe dimension, etc. So this 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 instance of the boy drawing the picture, Bagul is attempting to get at the boy, does not work for whatever reason, which 
So this movie is an hour and 50 minutes long, which I've obviously very actively gone against that length of movie. I think 90 minutes is prime, but I don't mind it here. And I think I, I don't really know what you could cut in this movie to make it shorter. It feels all pretty necessary. And even watching it now for like the sixth or seventh time, it still didn't feel like a drag at any point. You know, pretty, I would say I'm on edge the whole time, but I enjoyed pretty much every scene. Like, I don't think any scene needs to be cut. No, and even like the transitional scenes, they're imperative to like what I said earlier, like the red herring aspect. Mm -hmm. Or just like building, because you have to build the outside characters. You can't just have them, you know... (laughs) Yeah, and, and, and it's a pretty it's a pretty small core cast. It's pretty much your family with the occasional tidbit of deputy so-and-so. And so, yeah, like Gavin said, all the transitional scenes are important because they're all conversations that are crucial to basically seeing how this entity is breaking down their household without even actually doing anything yeah. yet. And there's like um, no info dumping. Yeah, no, there was a very small... A uh, small dump that I noted, but I felt was essential anyway, and it was effective, so I wasn't mad at it. But we'll get there when we get there. Um, it was <laughs> so it was funny. The mom was freaking out, and the boy told the boy to go to his room. He has to talk. She has to talk to the uh, Ethan for a moment, and so she's bringing it up, and she's like, "I told you to keep your office locked." Yada yada yada. And bad dad point. He's like, "It was bound to happen eventually." Oh my god. <laughs> That is not the correct. I don't know if that's bad dad point or bad husband point, but that was not the correct answer in this moment. He's getting a bad dad point for that. (laughs) He says it was bound to happen. Uh, He goes back to watching film. He then watches whichever one does the uh, throat slits. Um, I think that's sleepy time because they're all. Yeah. Uh, And, you know, again, we don't see the throat slits on the film. We see the throat slits happen in the reflection of his glasses. And this is our first instance of Bagul's symbol being found, which doesn't really play a huge thing. Just is giving him a symbol for some reason or another. Uh, I think they like write it off as like a portal to his dimension of sorts. But eh, it's whatever. Just more Bagul lore, basically. Love good lore. And it, it basically gives reason to uh, have the professor character that we get eventually. His only reason for existing is analyzing the symbol. So I guess technically maybe you could get rid of the professor and this whole little lore bit. But I, I but we like it. We like lore building. So I don't yeah, mind I, it. I mean, if, if you don't have the professor, then he, he is a super genius, as we've figured out. But I don't yeah. think he would have understood what was happening. Yeah, I think it's you kind of just need it. And the professor gives us some information that kind of like makes a few tiny details previous connect, which we'll get there when we get there as well. Um, We get another thud upstairs in the attic. This is when he finds like the lid of the box that had everything in it. And so we see drawings of all the murders, all the family murders, clearly drawn by the children. And then in each drawing was a Mr. Boogie character, which is Bagul. Uh, he fell through his attic. He saw a snake up there this time. Oh and, then, and, then, and then this is where we, this is our, our comedy, our comedy relief is this conversation. They call the cops. He gets bandaged up, says, I don't need to go to the hospital. So <laughs> in my notes, I wrote him down as sequel cop instead of deputy so-and-so. Yeah, I mean, he's that. He's both. (laughs) So he's talking with Ethan Hawke's character. He's like, So, how would an intruder get up there then? Ethan replies, I didn't say there was an intruder. I just said that it sounded like it, which Ethan loves to do these little nitpicky English things because he's a dickhead. And he does get it because he's a writer. (laughs) (laughs) He's like, But I did see a snake. (laughs) So the cop says, Well, snakes don't have feet, but you probably have squirrels. It's like, okay. He was like, yeah, snakes don't have feet. Thank you. <laughs> and it's funny because later on, deputy so-and-so is like, believe it or not, I'm not dumb. Okay. I have a degree in criminology. All right. So I don't know why they made him act like a goofball in this movie, but I, I'm not mad. Yeah. And he's like perfectly like, well, not perfectly, but he's fairly normal in the second one. 
Yeah, but they made him like a weird fangirl in this movie. Yeah. <laughs> and it was just, odd, just an odd decision to make. Like he could have been goofy and not be a weird super fan all at the same time. And like the super fan kind of plays into his character a bit, but not enough to warrant it existing, in my opinion. It's not really a knock, it's just kind of like a why did you do this? Um, oh well. We find out Deputy So-and-so wants acknowledgement. <laughs> He's talking to him about the book. He's like, ah, you know, there's that page where you talk about people that you're thankful for, you know, and stuff like that. He's like, the acknowledgement page. He's like, yeah, 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 that. And it's like, if you already have a deputy, you're acknowledging. That's okay. But like, if you don't, like, it should be me. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> Nothing crazy. <laughs> so he's like, you know what? Deal. You find out a bunch of information for me. Sure. Uh, he goes back to find Bagul in all of the short films. Um, he We also see the depressing side of Ethan Hawke's character's reality, where he watches a whole bunch of interviews he did about Kentucky blood. He's got like seven of them on VHS that he just watches to, to fill his ego, I guess. Um, and this is where... So what do you, what do you think of the overall lore... how they how they tried to force the continuity of all them i I wouldn't say tried because they succeeded i don't think it's terribly forced um i guess the story of bagul and how he is to comes to be so we find out that basically the family that dies Mm -hmm. lived where the previous family murder happened oh yeah and so on yeah yeah so I guess my question is, is what do you do you think they wrote that well? Do you think it works for this movie? Do you think there's something different they should have done? Since seeing the second one, it becomes a little more clear that a lot of the stuff they did in this movie seems like it was a setup for the sequel. Mm-hmm. And this being one of those examples, because sorry, this will be a spoiler for Sinister 2. <laughs> um Deputy so-and-so's idea to stop the cycle is to burn the houses of the previous murders. Um, and But it, it doesn't seem to work. But that that's his first step of, I'm going to get this to stop, so I'm going to go burn down all these homes. So other than that, the only thing that I can see, like the only other, other purpose to have these this home aspect be a thing is just for convenience (laughs) for Bagul (laughs) like maybe he doesn't actually have an ability to latch on to a family unless they do a specific thing Mm. which I guess would be moving into this house or you know I don't I don't really know they don't really go into enough detail for that Mm -hmm. but it it really does just seem like a a future setup piece Mm -hmm. fair uh, I think you it, had an idea about it. No, I think it works. Uh, like I, this movie ends where I don't think a sequel is necessary by yeah. default. Yeah. Um, but I, I get, I mean, it's easy. You know, I, I, I you, you heard the numbers, 87 million versus 3 million budget. You're going to try to capitalize on the success and capture that again. And which is why a sequel exists, unfortunately. Um, I, I think it works. I think it's effective. I think, convenience yes um but i can't imagine a different way of writing it because ultimately i don't think it's confusing i think once they explain it and i think it's also very naturally explained throughout the course of the movie like i said there isn't a huge exposition dump at any one point in time um so i think we slowly figure it out with ethan hawk's character and it's effective and it works um I also think maybe it tied in well with his whole true crime thing where the fact that if just them creating that piece Mm -hmm. allows him to think that it maybe it's a serial killer that just has a pattern or, you know what I'm saying? Where like, Mm -hmm. because he throughout the movie, he tries to avoid the idea that it's a demon. (laughs) Yeah. Whereas by the time he, by the time he gets the realization that, okay, this is the thing it's too late. Mm-hmm. So I think it's maybe just a way to keep his mental in check. Yeah, that's true. And yeah, when you view it from 
his character perspective. Yeah, it works for that idea of keeping it because they, they try to run with that idea throughout a large portion of the movie. This this scene where he's talking with deputy so and so they're like, OK, well, because they tracked it back to the 60s. That's where the first tape comes from. They're like, that puts the killer in his 60s or 70s or so. And they, they're even like, OK, that would mean he's an old man. And they're like, yeah, well, like the hanging, he uses the branch to do all his heavy lifting, et cetera, et cetera. So, yeah, when you when you put when you take that point into account as well, I think it's uh, really effective. Ultimately, what they did, I think it's the best thing they could have done. I'm not a creative person, so I can't think of another right around or way to write it. Um, yeah. But it's unique in its premise. Obviously, like we said, uh, Insidious is two years prior. They had that as the the it's not your house it's haunted it's your child uh and like you know they move house twice in that movie i believe um so there's a theme of moving throughout blumhouse's ideas but it works and then yeah they did the same thing in paranormal activity the sister was the one that was haunted so a little different route they took here ultimately it's good i don't mind it yeah um back into the plot a bit we get uh, the video of the family hanging is played by itself, random intervals within this movie. So this time that it happens, Ethan Hawke checks it out. Excuse me. He pulls up the screenshot. He screenshot Bagul throughout all the videos, as well as the symbols on his ancient MacBook. And yeah. after the hanging, he sees Bagul in the bush behind the tree in his backyard uh, so he goes to check it out, and this is where he finds Trevor just staring out of the bush, just hiding in the bush. Um, and this is the last night terror. This is like Trevor's last relevant scene throughout the movie. So good for Trevor. Um, when he finds Trevor, he also finds this black dog, this huge, black, scary Rottweiler type dog, which not scary in real life. All dogs are created equal. <laughs> good boys and girls all around um but this rottweiler is one of the scariest looking dogs i've ever seen in a movie because they just give it no light and they just had to have found the darkest furred rottweiler imaginable where it's like not even its eyes are perceivable in this instance <laughs> and at a certain point it like jumps to the dog jumps to ethan hawk jumps back to the dog jumps to ethan hawk and five dead children are behind <laughs> ethan hawk and that's when we start to realize this is paranormal as fuck. Uh, and this is the uh, mini exposition dump. Before we get to that, Ethan Hawke and I was going to say Stacy, Tracy, get into another fight about this whole thing again. He's like, this could be my in cold blood. You know, this could be the one. Ah, yeah. he's worried all about the money and the, and the fame. She's worried about him. Um, our tiny exposition dump. Uh, the deputy's like, here's the deal. You know, if you want me to do all this, you got to you gotta loop me in on this. You know, you have to make me a part of the investigation. So we get a very tiny exposition dump where Ethan Hawke's character basically explains everything about the murders, how they're connected, and what he's been seeing. And like a five-minute scene tops. Yeah. And it works and it makes sense. The deputy wants to be a part of the case because he's a fan, but also because... He wants to see justice, you know, <laughs> so you forget that <laughs> I don't mind it. We then see probably, in my opinion, the scariest of the short films was the lawnmower one. Mm -hmm. um, and it's exact. It's not exactly what you think, because who knows what you could possibly think by just be saying it's the lawnmower one. Yeah. You know? <laughs> um, so we see the kid basically grab a lawnmower. And this one, I really, really like this one because they have no sound. And this one is practically quiet. And then out of nowhere, you see a human head and then it cuts away as the lawnmower makes a lawn mowing sound as yeah. it is essentially <sighs> killing the person. And I thought that was so fucking good. And on this seventh rewatch of mine, I still jumped at that moment because I was like, shit, because again, all those other ones have all this creepy music and all this creepy sound going on. And this one is just silence and then a ramp, an immediate ramp up. And it's so good. Yeah. And there's that split second. You see that human face and you like put two and two together of like what's about to happen. And it's probably like one of the scarier 
film moments I've personally seen, and I will stand by that opinion. I think it was just something top 10, top 20 from Sinister, and I think it was this scene. Mm -hmm. It was just on, I think it was a um, Shudder top 101 scariest movie scenes. Oh, sick. And I'm pretty sure this was very high on the list. Yeah, I believe it. (laughs) That's haunting. It is a tough scene. But that, and we don't even see that in his reflection. Like, we don't see anything of that. <laughs> we just hear it. So, don't worry. Nothing, he looks away. So, like, yeah, <laughs> nothing too gory. Um, this is where we get our a bit. We find out Bagul, eater of children, pagan deity, dating back to Babylonian times. So, we, with the, this is what I was talking about with the professor. I don't think it happens here specifically, but there's a scene with the professor. They just FaceTime. Um, and the professor mentions that the Bagul has taken on these forms in the past in, in Babylonian times. He was like, you know, Bagul is not very talked about. So there's not a lot of scanned research on the guy, but I was able to find these pages about him. And basically there is a black dog, a black snake and a black scorpion. And obviously Ethan Hawke has visibly interacted with both of these. Um, but it was very subtle and it was in passing. That scene where Deputy So-and-so talks about squirrels and snakes, um, Ethan Hawke mentions, oh, I killed a scorpion up there or something along those lines. Yeah. So there you go. There's your holy trinity of Bagul animal forms. Bang. And that's kind of the only thing the professor provides to the movie, really. It's just some lore explanation, which I don't mind, like I said. Um, But if you wanted to shorten this movie, if you were going to cut anything from this movie, that's probably what you cut. Yeah. And cut him as a character. And yeah, Ethan Hawke has shown a high IQ throughout this entire movie. So he could just like find that on his own randomly. Probably. probably. Yeah. Um, yeah. Or like goes wish... to a local library and finds it. Whatever. <laughs> yeah. I wish like in this one, but most likely probably would have been in the sequel. They like explained why starting in 1966, Bagul just started doing these things again. Yeah. Like did somebody i don't know resurrect or call him or something you know what i mean like that yeah. would like summoned him yeah I, i'd be in on a bagul prequel movie i think that'd yeah, be better that, that'd be good yeah i think that'd be better than a, a than the sequel i think if they really because yeah no I, I i would do a bagul prequel where it like starts in like the 1800s or some bullshit and we see like him as a human or something i don't or, know. or maybe just the first family that gets killed like why is it why was it there because yeah yeah like what did they do wrong Right, that's our starting point. So. How they summoned him or something. Yeah, that'd be pretty cool. And you could shoot it 60s style. Yeah, it would fit yeah. perfectly into this weird 80s renaissance. renaissance. Yeah, A24. <laughs> Yo, A24, man. Partner up. We'll sign. We'll sign off on it. We'll give us like 40% of the cut. Whatever. We'll review it. <laughs> <laughs> we'll give it a fun. Yeah, we'll endorse it. We'll be in it, you know, whatever you need. I am uh, now a movie star. So, uh, Gavin, basically, be on the lookout for our IMDb pages. All right, <laughs> <laughs> by the end of the, by like the end of December. Okay, Bloody Spork Productions to the moon. Yeah. Either way, we get uh, the alarm clock shows us three twenty three in the morning. The hanging video plays again by itself. <laughs> this was also this is another goofy scene to me. Ethan Hawke walking through the house with a baseball bat, and for some reason all the dead missing children like pop up behind him or like right next to him. And he, he can't perceive them at all. Like we see them, but I don't think he's ever meant to see them at any point in time. I think they're just meant to be there for us to see. Yeah, I think so. um, but they all move in slow-mo. And I don't really understand why that was the creative choice. Cause it doesn't add suspense. It just looks dumb. We get, Ethan Hawke moving real time and these kids like I don't even know what to compare it to it doesn't take away from the movie but it doesn't add either it, like ultimately it's just goofy in my it's opinion like, got a little bit of budget left over let's just yeah let's just add in some special effects yeah it, it's like it's one of those features of the movie that you could take away and then be like yeah Sinister is kind of campy it has a camp aspect to it you know whatever even though it's just not that at all. (laughs) We see the little girl is awake and the little dead girl, who I actually remember her name for some reason, Stephanie 
is the missing girl of the most recent case, which is the family hanging. And that's the one that Ethan Hawke is primarily investigating because that's the house he moved into. Um, So the little dead girl, Stephanie, shushes Ethan Hawke's daughter. And we see that Ethan Hawke's daughter has also painted the hangings on her wall right next to her bed. So the the boy was a failed experiment, but the little girl, she got got. Next day, he uh, he he fell asleep with a bat in his hand on his couch. <laughs> he invites Deputy So and So over to talk. Another another little bit of funny conversation. He mentions uh, that like he moved into the house where the hanging happened, and that he hasn't told his wife. And Deputy So and So mentions, "I would not want to be around for that conversation." <laughs> and Ethan <laughs> Ethan Hawk is so fucking defeated and so tired, and he's just like, "Yeah, man, that's." <laughs> he was like yeah man yeah he was like yeah me neither ha 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 <laughs> so the little girl ends up exposing dad to the wife about the whole ordeal that you know they're in the crime house and so it's funny like i said he genuinely says we didn't move a few doors down from it we moved here and she was, and he, and then he go, he doubles down as well. He doubles down. He's like, it's not like we're sleeping where the family was killed or something. Yeah. She's like, she was like, well, where were they killed? And he's like in the backyard. And she yeah. was like, oh, and you let your daughter play back there. That's sickening. And he was <laughs> bad dad, <laughs> bad dad, four points, by the way. And, uh, he, yeah, he was like, um, you know, they died in the backyard and she like freaks out. She's like, you think that makes a difference? He was like, of course it makes a difference. <laughs> I can't remember exactly, but doesn't she also say, like, we're leaving tomorrow? Literally, yeah. I die that night. <laughs> Basically. He then goes on. This is this is bad dad. This is like negative 10 points for bad dad. He talks, he says, uh, books are my legacy and writing is my passion or something along those lines. Yeah. And mom, mom, instant clap back. She's like, Trevor. And I wrote, okay, Trevor is the son's name. I wrote it down here, <laughs> apparently. Um, but I also immediately then wrote, Trevor and the little girl are your legacy. This marriage should be your passion. She doesn't say that. She says something much more inspirational. She definitely says Trevor and the little girl are his legacy. Um, I don't know if she says the... I, I don't think she says the marriage is his passion. Because um, that would sound... That's a little pretentious. And she's just a lovely... What's her name, Tracy? Yes. She says, this trussy is your passion. <laughs> <laughs> oh, brother. All right. <laughs> <laughs> Woo! You proud of that one? That was funny. <laughs> uh, if you didn't hear, he said trussy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> trussy. Anyway. <laughs> Another late night. He wakes up again. The ladder to the attic is already down. Uh, the projector's rolling. Another jump scare. That works, but isn't too bad. That's a good jump scare is, is basically what I'm saying. Uh, all of it falls from the attic projector, all the films, yada, yada, yada. Music has now crescendoed to an all-time high. Uh, basic, It's like the credit sequence. The, the music they use for the credits they play here, too, which I really like. It's like this... I, I just know it's you know if, if that if that doesn't sound exactly like it I don't know. <laughs> I was like, let's see where he goes with this one. <laughs> uh, I immediately realized that I could not repeat those sounds, but just know there's there's a nice drum roll <laughs> yes, and then and then a patch. All right, but not like the comedy one. Just go watch the movie. Either way, they he freaks out and he's like, "Get the kids, pack the car, we're leaving right now. Let's go." And they're like, okay, here we go. Woo! They all just jump into the car. And sure enough, they are moving into the old house the very next day. Now, last 15 minutes, I believe, of the movie or so, Deputy So-and-so is trying to get into contact with Ethan Hawke. Ethan Hawke's declining his calls. He's just happy to be in the old house. Another night now. Uh, deputy calls. He finally picks up this time. He's like, do you realize what time it is? And he was like, right, but I gotta let you do something. Deputy so-and-so lets him know that he like expedited Bagul's process and by moving back into his old house, he basically set them up to die immediately. And that's what happens yeah. is they die immediately. <laughs> Little girl's like, I made you a coffee, dad. I'm only five, but I put it in the microwave <laughs> and dealt with the hot water. He's like, oh, thanks. <laughs> uh, 
we he finds the projector in the film that he just burned up in his old house attic now and it's uh he he gets this little package that's like extended cut endings which he also has to edit onto the films himself which i thought was really funny but ghoul didn't have the time to to put it all together for him he just had to quickly like oh shit he's moving tonight and then just throw it at him the ending of this movie just quickly just goes downhill yeah this all (laughs) happens so fast and i was like oh so he's drinking his coffee he looks at his coffee we have like expired nickelodeon slime goop glowing from his coffee to like really show it's like in case you didn't realize it this shit's poisoned yeah um not poison poison but it puts him to sleep and then he he picks up the mug and just so, just so you really know that it was the little girl he picks up a note immediately after that says good night daddy yeah um, falls asleep and this is his film this is his family's film the little girl starts filming uh she says i'll make you famous again daddy with a big old hulking axe literally as big as she is yeah and, um yeah she ends the movie she's there's just blood blood all over the walls we see his symbol again she draws in her family death into the box lid whatever they, well, the the corny part is this dumbass head tilt she does at the end to like all the all the dead kids in the projector look at her she looks back head tilt bagul behind her he picks her up they walk through the projector they're all united in bagul's kingdom now what a happy little dead family Yay. and uh we see the projector in the film. We're zooming out, 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 and then jump scare credits. <laughs> yeah. I, I will never forget the very first time watching this movie and just absolutely shitting bricks because it's the most unexpected jump scare I had <laughs> seen to my little little eyes. So this, yeah. this movie comes out 2012, so I'm 14. Um, and like I've explained it before, maybe I haven't. Uh, growing up, I wasn't allowed to watch rated R movies. And then once I had turned into a teenager, I was allowed to watch them as long as there was no boobies. And so I was allowed to watch this movie at the age of 14. Um, I've never seen boobies before. I've yet to see boobies still because I still follow that rule. Okay. So all the bloody sports people send boobies. So that <laughs> finally see them. You know how X had a bunch of titties? I closed my eyes each time. Mm-hmm. They watched a uh, censored version. <laughs> I watched a censored version of X and Pearl. Uh, I don't think Pearl had boobies. Never mind. Uh, uh, she has stop a male creature in it. Stop it. <laughs> I just want to let everybody know, John and Gavin both bullied the fuck out of me because this random clip of Mia Goth went viral on Twitter where she's talking about blueberry. May I take your hat, sir? May I take your hat, sir? And it's just this whole bunch of quote tweets about fucking how she just sounds like a a 1920s English girl. Straight out of fucking Misadventures of Flapjack. (laughs) And so, still, me, this is no longer a Mia Goth stand podcast. I guess it never was. Um, But just know me personally. All right, Dan here, for, for the other Mia Goth fans out there, you have me, and I have you. But we do not have John and Gavin. They are not They are not here with us. Um, either way, that's the movie. That's Sinister for you. Yeah. Uh, 2012 Banger, like I said, it's my number two. I was scared to watch this because I haven't watched it in probably a few years now. Um, I watched it a lot a few years ago not a lot i mean i've watched it multiple times over the years but i haven't watched it probably within the past five years i've watched coverage on it i gotta say even with my analytical lens being placed on this movie still one of my favorites it's still my number two for sure bloody sporks five out of six easy ranking what do you think i was gonna say five out of six perfect um i uh like as all the movies we watch the sequels do have an impact on what i think of it just because they're a part of the movie even if you know true but it's a very easily standalone movie Mm -hmm, Uh, mm -hmm. so yeah that's you know it's not the best movie but to me it is good so five out of six yeah and i think it's interesting we're like i said we're 24 and i think 
these movies were our teenage horror movies. And so I think they'll always be highly coveted in our eyes, no matter what. And believe it or not, I tried my best not to watch this with rose tinted lenses, but ultimately I do still think it's one of the better move, better horror movies to come out of the early 2010s. Um, it's effective again, especially when you view it as a standalone, if you ignore the sequel altogether, uh, sinister by itself quality quality movie it's also just hard to express the the genius of the soundtrack and mm-hmm, mm-hmm. just ambient sound yeah this is one of the more haunting scores in my opinion yeah. that like i could hear it randomly on any given moment at any given day and be instantly transported back into like this movie and watching this movie and seeing this movie and like can instantly picture Bagul as soon as I hear that drum line basically. It's very uh, it's very much a must watch rather than a like watch because listening to a review does not do it justice. Whatsoever. No, it's definitely like I said, one of the one of the better movies. I mean, you know, for whatever that study, however you want to view that study, um, you know, it's number one on that study for a reason. It yeah. is genuinely creepy. It is very tense. Um, try honestly, try to replicate a theater experience best you can watching this movie. I can only imagine watching this movie in theaters. Uh, wasn't old enough, so I didn't. Uh, I watched this movie in my basement with the brightest lights imaginable on, and so you know, not as scary under those conditions. But if you're gonna watch this movie, I dare you turn your lights off dim everything keep your phone off surround media (laughs) surround sound don't let your phone distract you don't watch it with friends because then you're not really you know paying attention maybe watch it with one other person really really sink yourself into this one if you want to be scared by it because i think it is truly even to this day one of the scarier movies of recent history yeah so that's gonna do it five out of six is from both of us next week john will be back uh i don't know what movie we're doing next week yet uh whoopsies um so we'll see be on the lookout follow us on instagram because i'll usually post it before friday so you'll have at least a day that being said i never posted about sinister and i didn't realize it till today whatever wow shit happens it's hard being owner recorder main host editor social (laughs) editor social media manager you know there's a lot of lot lot of hats i'm wearing (laughs) all right or being there it's hard it's hard being dan that being said uh i believe we'll have we will be doing a thanksgiving episode we will not be doing thanks killing thank you <laughs> sorry to disappoint hopefully that's not a disappointing thing to hear um i think we'll be covering pilgrim for our thanksgiving episode Ooh. bit of a indie flick i believe Early Brown. oh not not Charlie Brown. um <laughs> new Maybe, who knows? Uh, be on the lookout for that. If you don't already, follow us on Instagram at Bloody Spork. If you want to email us further movie suggestions and have us talk about it like we did here with Ash's recommendation, go ahead and email us at bloodysporkpod at gmail.com. And I think that's going to do it. Bad Dad Counter 5, Good Dad Counter 2, Ethan Hawke, official Bad Dad. Bam. You heard it here first, folks. Breaking news. <laughs> <laughs> Breaking news. Uh, go watch Black Phone. Support Ethan Hawke, I guess. I don't know. Ethan um, Hawke, Stan account. <laughs> now that, factual. And, and this is our uh, bi-weekly episode whenever I'm on Fuck Chelsea. That movie was shit. <laughs> just, just a reminder. <laughs> Without further ado, that's going to do it. From Dan. And Gavin. See you later, Sporkies. Bye, Sporkies. All right. Bump, bump, bump.